Welcome. Good to see everybody this morning. I know you guys are thinking, well, it's not your turn. We got about three more songs to do. We're kind of mixing things up a little this morning. So if you want to pray with Dee, this is the time that he's exiting. Uh, we're going to have communion this morning, all the way through the Old Testament and even the New. Um, what has taken place is that uh, whenever people worshiped, it was a proclamation of the word uh, would happen, and then there's a celebration of worship at the end. So we're just kind of trying this this morning um, with being at the table, with being at communion, and we'll kind of explain those logistics um, after the sermon after the sermon takes place. But we're on a, a series, number eight, week eight on this series, God and Our Greatest Fears. Uh, every one of us have some common fears that are in life, and, and we're all the same, uh, all the way same from everybody in this room, but we can even go 3,000 years and read a book, which is the Bible, and their personalities are the same as well. And they walk through similar fears that, w- that we do. And the fears that we've been kind of uh, talking about is the fear of losing our freedom, the fear of the unknown, the fear of pain, and misery, loneliness, the fear of disappointment, and the fear of rejection is kind of what we've been talking about. And then we ask the question, well, what does God say about these fears? If the Bible wanted to speak or God wanted to speak in my life in regards to the fear that I'm facing, what would he say? What would be his response? The fear we're looking at today is the fear of death. Number one, one of our greatest fears is the fear of death. Now, if you just think um, just kind of on the surface when it comes to the fear of death, you can say, yeah, it's going to be a Sad to say goodbye. I really don't want to die because it seems like I'm going to say goodbye to people and it creates some fears. Fear of leaving the earth. Fear of leaving our loved ones. Fear of walking through the shadow of death. Wondering what's going to take place. What's going to happen. Uh, Fear that uh, we really just don't necessarily want to face. But as we know the statistics, one out of one dies. All of us are going to be walking through death. And so looking at that, there's just kind of a, a basic amount of fear but uh, how horrific um, is the fear of death? Uh, if you just think of it on the surface, yes, it could be kind of, you know, some, uh, being afraid. But if you even go deeper, um, when your body gets close to death, it uh, seems like your body, or when you come close to death, your body even reacts to it. Uh, what I mean by that is, have you ever been in a car accident or almost car accident? What takes place when you're, you're going and somebody else pulls in front of you and all of a sudden it's like the end of my life is going to happen? Your body uh, shuts down. You don't make a decision for it to shut down. It just automatically shuts down. What I mean by shuts down is that it actually, it relaxes. Uh, It goes into shock. And if you've ever been in an accident where you have been hurt, uh, you don't even remember the hurt because your body went into shock. It It took the pain, but there was no pain because you were taken care of in a sense, that your body responded to the fear of death. And when it did respond, your body went into shock, and you no longer feel anything. So if you were in a car accident and died, there'd be no pain. But if you're in a car accident and lived, well, as soon as your mind comes to the surface, oh, I'm still alive, that is when the pain starts, starts to come. That is when the heartbeat starts to come when it takes place. So when we look at the fear of death, um, your body just automatically responds if you think death is going to take place. Another thing that responds is your mind. I go rafting often, and there's always this sense that if I know that I fall into the water and in my mind clicks that I'm not going to survive, what it will do is it will mess with me, and it'll give me an experience that will keep me from the water for the rest of my life. They call it uh, the water trauma. So if you've had almost drowned you don't want to come close to water. 
My oldest brother almost drowned twice, and I took him rafting, and uh, I'm relaxed when I raft. He was scared out of his mind when he rafted. And then there was one rapid that uh, his youth group was there, and I said, you know, you got to swim this rapid. It's not that big of a deal. He looked at me and says, I'm not going to swim it. Being a younger brother, I was, of course, a pest. He said, come on, come on, come on, come on, started putting pressure on him. He grabbed me by the life jacket. He looked at me right in the face with a cold look and said, don't you ask me again. I will not touch this rapid nor swim it. See, what happened is he had a, a water trauma close to dying. Therefore, he won't never touch water again. I mean, just in, a sense of, in the sense of uh, swimming or rafting. Post-traumatic stress takes place when people go to war. You're thinking in your mind that this could be it. As I walk into battles, I walk into war, and different things are taking place, different things are happening. It's messing with your mind. The 50 years later, it's still messing with your mind. It's still staying with you. We went on a Vietnam trip about three years ago. And uh, it was a mission trip into Vietnam, and there's one individual that I asked in the foyer. I said, you should come to Vietnam with us. And his eyes just instantly went up with tears. And you could tell his hands just got cold, froze up, and says, I will not. And then he walks away from me. Um, he had post-traumatic stress in regards to the war. And this was years and years ago. But yet coming through that, there was still that thing that messed with his mind and stayed with him. Death is a, a huge issue. And when we get close to it, when we get close to experiencing it, it messes with our mind. It messes with our emotions. It messes with our heart. It messes with us in regards to death. Psalms 116.3, the cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave come upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Here's a psalmist just making an expression of the cords of death have a hold of me. They're entangling me. They're hanging on to me. The anguish of the grave is still there thinking that this is going to take place. This is going to happen. Death is um, a big deal. It is something that's not natural. It is something that we kind of wonder what's going to take place after it happens. It's something that does control us. Therefore, we often just remove it from our minds. I'm not going to really necessarily even think about death. To understand the fear of death, we need to first um, understand ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull away from the Bible for about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and we're going to just talk about our nature, what's in our instinct, and uh, to try to figure out why are we afraid, um, why are we afraid of death? What's taken place in result of what we're afraid of? Number two, Christians or not, we all know that this is not our home. Believers or not, we know that this is not our home. I work, do a lot of the funerals that take place, and I work with a lot of people on hospice, and I work with a lot of people that are dying. Some of the conversations I have and some of the things that come out of their mouth as they go through their mind is that, did I love people enough when I was on the earth? You see what's taking place as somebody's walking towards death, they turn around and start evaluating themselves. Death is judging the person. And the way it's judging the person is they start to reflect on who they were in life. Did I do enough? Did I give enough? Was I good enough? Did I invest into people enough? People start making that contemplation because when they come to the end, they start thinking about their life. Why would they think about their life if they knew that death was the end? 
Or do they know that death was the end? Instinctively, we know that death is not the end. Otherwise, we wouldn't evaluate our lives when we come close to it. Did I love people enough? Did I give enough money? Should I have been with my family more? Did I make an impact in life? See, what happened is death is judging us, and as death is judging us, what's coming out of our system is that we are eternal beings and we know it. Where does that come from? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put an eternity in man's heart. There is something inside of us that knows, whether we admit it or not, but there's something inside of us knows that we will continue to exist even after we die. Everyone has an instinct in that something is going to happen after death, and it scares us. This past week, I've been looking at YouTube videos and to see what kind of the secular world talks about death and how they respond to it. And, and I looked at one YouTube video, and it explained that science has almost figured out death. And I'm like, oh, this is a good article. Let's see if science has figured out death. And they just did some research on people that, that had died and then and, and came back. In other words, people that were on the surgery table. And on the surgery table, it seems like they lifted above their body and they observed what was taking place. And then they, you know, made, made statements that this is what took place. And they wouldn't have known that unless they were lifted from the table during the process of when they died. But that was as far as they could get. And after they, they figured out this is as far as they could get, they started to use a word that they should never use if you're a scientist. Well, it takes a little bit of faith. <laughs> whoa, 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 you're a scientist. You don't mess with the word faith. That's a, that's a Bible word. But the scientists were using those words. It takes a little bit of, of faith. We got this point, but there will be a day when science can figure out if there's going to be life after death. Another thing that I noticed in research of people that are not saved, the people that do not know Christ or even reject Christ in regards to death, is that there was this thing about the unknown. We're afraid of the unknown. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the reason why that doesn't make any sense is because if you believe that you're going to die when you die and it's all over, that is the known in your mind. But there's an eternity in our heart. And as there is an eternity in our heart, we know that something's going to take place after we die. And that's why we use the word, there's still an unknown. There's still an unknown. What is going to take place? What is going to happen? Science hasn't figured it out. It's that eternity that God has placed in our hearts. Number A, we all want to last. Every one of us wants to last. Have you ever heard the words, time is flying? There's an instinct that we want to slow it down. We want to remain. We want to stay. We want to last. I'm getting old. That's a statement that I'm tired of this, and I want things to slow down, and I'm not moving like I used to. I want time to last. I remember the good old days. Those are other statements that we were making. I just wish I was back then, because back then I was strong. As time goes, I'm getting weaker and weaker. You hear the words, I don't want to leave you. We feel like death is a curse, naturally. We feel like it's unnatural, and we also feel like it should not be that way. Whether we are believers or not, we know that we're walking towards something that is a curse, something that is the end, that it should not happen. Of course, the Bible gives us an explanation that it is a curse, that it is not natural, and it is not the way that it should be. 
but instinctively, we all still know that as we're walking through it. B, we all want to matter. People on their deathbeds, they ask the questions, how are my, my kids doing? What kind of heritage did I leave behind? Will I be remembered? How many people have you ever known that are on their deathbeds, they say, what I want you to do is I want you to go to my bank account and I want you to cash it out and I want the cash to be on my covers. Put it all on my bed so I can feel the weight before I die because my investments were strong, my investments were real, and this is what I want to make sure I knew I had before I died. We don't do that. What we end up doing is we ask for family members. We ask for loved ones. Why would we ask for family members? Why would we ask for loved ones? Because instinctively we know that they are eternal with us. Instinctively, we know that our relationship is still, something's going to happen on the other side. That there's a relationship that's still going to happen or not going to happen in regards to what is taking place. Instinctively, we know this, and that is why it scares us. We fear death because we ask the questions, did I exist for something? And death confronts us on whether we existed for something or not. It kind of takes us. Number C, we all want our love to live on. Instinctively, we want this love to carry. And it seems like whenever we talk about love, this is a concept that we keep on bringing up as in a sense of an eternal thing. We just went through Valentine's. If you ever go to Valentine's, buy some Valentine's candy, you get those little hearts that make all these statements. What do these statements say on all the hearts? Some of the statements says, my love will never die. Never is an eternal statement. If you believe that death is the end, why are people writing on the candies, I want my love to never die. I will love you forever. There's another statement that's on one of those candies. Why are they using the words, I will love you forever, if you do not believe that forever even exists, if you believe that death is the end? I don't want to ever be away from you. Again, an eternal word that we use. We will always be together how can you make that promise that we'll always be together? We'll always be together until we die should complete the sentence, but nobody's going to buy that piece of candy. Forever mine? If you look at forever mine, why would we make that statement? We were doing is we were taking the Bible and we're pulling our eternal nature from the sky and bringing it to us and say, love must last. And we do not believe that it is the end. We do not believe that it will stop. I can't, here's a statement that I read, I can't promise you forever because it's not long enough. This one goes even a little bit past eternity, knowing that we've got to hang on to this to the extreme. Yes, we do need to rewrite some candy if we believe that death is the end. Because if death is the end, then our love is the end. <coughs> People fear death because does death take my love away? Does death take my loved ones away? Letter D, we all want to make a difference. <clears throat> At death, we ask a question, is my influence going to last? Is my name going to live on? Did my life exist for something? Or is death the end of me? I watched a, a movie a couple months ago. <clears throat> My daughters and my wife watch movies together, and they're movies that they watch I'm not very interested in. 
there's a lot of romance and a lot of love, and it just kind of gets, bores me. So I was sitting by myself as they were watching a movie, and I looked at my phone and went onto Netflix and said, I'm going to watch a good war movie. And uh, I found the movie Troy, and I've never watched it before, and I turned it on and I, I watched the movie. And, and I will tell you that that uh, movie messed with my mind a little bit. And what I mean by messed with my mind is the focus and the drive of the movie is to have your name live on. The mother was given a child advice, and the mother, this is bad advice, don't take any notes, but the mother was saying that you can get married, and you can have children, and you can enjoy a nice, quiet life. But when you die, your children will have grandchildren, and your name will live just a couple generations. But if you be a soldier... Do not marry, do not have children, and be a soldier and are amazing in battle. Then your, love, or your name will continue to live on from generation to generation to generation to generation. And their names were Achilles and, and Hector, and I even looked it up. And Achilles and Hector were known as, as soldiers, but that's all they, they were known as. Yes, there's a movie, but does that name live on, really have any purpose, really have any mission, really have any weight, really have any strength? Yes, I was a soldier, but is that strong enough? Is that what we desire? We just desire to have our name live on. What do you want your name to say when you die? What do you want to have to carry on? Letter E, we all want to know that we are being watched. We all have this hunger that is somebody watching what I do. If I do something good, does somebody see me? And if somebody doesn't see me, we kind of bring it up just a little bit. Of course, the Bible, we have God that always looks down for every act that we do. And what does it do? It gives us peace in times that we are serving. It gives us fear in times that we are disobedient. But inside of us, we instinctively all want to be watched. If this world is all that there is, then death takes everything away. All the instincts that are inside of us that were just mentioned are all gone if death is all that it is. In other words, our love dies, but yet we know it doesn't. Our life has no meaning, has no matter, but we know that it does. If death is the end, it takes everything away. We know that death is not the end. So we'll ask, what does the Bible say about death? Does the Bible have anything to say about death? Does the Bible give any focus on the principles and ramifications of death? I would say that the Bible is all about death because on the other side, there's a word called salvation. And if you ask what the theme of the Bible is, it would be Christ came for you, Christ lived for you, Christ died for you, Christ rose for you, so you can live with him in eternity. That is the statement that is given all the way through the Bible that there is another life, the word of God is proclaiming it, and the word of God has embraced us so we know that all these instincts can come together. Therefore, if we're struggling with the fear of death, does the Bible give us the answer? Yes, it does. Number three, to manage the fear of death, you need to embrace Jesus who has given you life. 
Now this is a message that is given practically every week, and it's a message that we all know. But let's put this message in perspective. When Christ came down, and you think of life through the context of Christ, everything comes into perspective. Everything comes into its context. We can last. We can matter. We can carry on. We have significance. We are loved. We are embraced. We are whole. We are people that know that we can have life even after death. All of our instincts come to life when we look at the word salvation that Christ has come after us. Romans 5, 17, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The whole Bible is about Christ because the whole Bible is about life. And we want to ask a question, are we going to embrace the life or are we going to reject the life? If you ask for advice on how to overcome the fear of death, there is no way you can overcome the fear of death unless you embrace the only life that has to offer, and that life would be through Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation? What does that mean? Is death condemn you? Does death confront you? Does death rob you? Does death strip you? This passage alone says there is no condemnation if you are in Christ. Does that respond to that? Do we respond to that? Do we react to that? Do we see that gospel? Does it, do we desire to embrace it? There was a time that I was a youth pastor, and we used to do pool parties um, over at Don Turnage's um, pool. He has a nice pool, and he gave it to a youth group, and I would go there early, and I'd set the barbecue up, and, and my daughters were, um, my youngest daughter was two at the time, and my other daughter was not even born yet. Maddie was two years old, and I was setting the barbecue up next to the pool, and the cover was on the pool. My wife came, and she was dropping my child off and said, I'm going to go make a phone call. Can you watch Madeline? Two years old, right next to the pool. I said, sure, I don't mind watching her. And then I turned my head away from her and started to work on the barbecue. I then turned my head back to make sure that she was all right, and she was nowhere to be seen. And then I saw the edge of the corner of the pool. And as I saw the edge of the corner of the pool, I noticed that the cover was pulled back. I instantly knew that my two-year-old daughter was in the pool. I will tell you that I did not think about what to do. I reacted on what I needed to do. And I ran to that corner as fast as I can. I'll never forget pulling the, the pool cover back. It was in the shallow end, but I saw my daughter down there on the bottom of the shallow end. And I will tell you that I reached down there as hard as I possibly could. I don't care if I grabbed hair, back, whatever it was, violently pulled her out of the water and as I held on to her, I was just praying, God, help her to breathe. Sure enough, when I pulled her back, she, I pulled her out, she instantly started coughing. Uh, she must have not have been down there very long. Instantly started to coughing. And as soon as I saw her coughing, my body started to shake. It started to convulse. And I started to hang on to her extremely, extremely tight. 
today. My daughter is 16 years old, and I really look at her even from a perspective that you're talking seconds I could have missed out on her life. Seconds that I would not even know who she is today if she was gone. My prayer and my constant statement is, God, thank you for giving me life with my daughter. Do we ever make that statement with God? Knowing that we're here on this earth and God has came, God died, God rose, and we have that at our fingertips. We have that to embrace. And as we embrace it, does it ever come to our mind, God, thank you for giving me life with you. When we think about death, we've got to think about salvation. We've got to think about the cross. We've got to think about the resurrection because it has come after us. What must we do? We must first embrace it and then also put it into our mind. Some of us say, well, I've accepted Christ, and as I've accepted Christ, I'm excited about my salvation that I have, but I still have this fear um, of death. If you continue to have this fear of death and you're, you're saved, I just number four, to manage the fear of death, you need to walk with Jesus in this life. If the fear of death is still there, and you're wondering, is Christ going to be on the other side? Is Christ going to receive me? Why do we live the Christian life? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? What are we doing when we are doing this? What we're doing is we're getting to know our Savior. And when we get to know our Savior at death, you're going to show up to your Savior, and Jesus is going to look at you and say, uh, let me introduce myself. Um, I know you haven't prayed. I know you haven't read. I know you don't even hardly even know me. Back then you received me, but you don't even know me. The reason why we fear death, even when we're believers, is because we don't even know the Christ that often saves us. been married for 21 years, and I know my wife a lot more now than I did 21 years ago. I know how she thinks. I know um, what's going on in her mind. I know how she reacts to things. I know how we are connected and how we're not connected. I know her because I've chosen to walk with her in life. If we are afraid of death, get to know the one that we will meet on the other side now. Because when we open up the Word and we read the Word and we see Jesus' personality, we see his character, it's not going to be a surprise to us when we are embraced by him. Psalms 49, 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Do you know who he is? Do you know his mind? Do you know his character? Do you know his heart? Do you know his personality? Do you know his attitude? Do you know the love that he has for you? Our whole life, we can study it, we can memorize it, we can be with it, we can pray with him, that is for the purpose of walking from this life to the next and say, oh yeah, here we are. We know each other. Oh yeah, we've been connected our whole life. Being embraced by the one that we know. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. How close um, is a brother? Last uh, week, last Monday, I went snowmobiling from Odell Lake and we were planning on going to Crater Lake and we could not make it because... The snow drifts were so um, uh, difficult and so steep, and we got stuck probably about 15 times. My brother was with me, and so was um, John Ditchin. And as we were going, we were not afraid of dying. We were not afraid of getting hurt. We were just out there to have fun. And I've got some pictures to show you. You can go through the pictures, just a couple of pictures. But we were not afraid of anything. And the reason why is because we had each other. 
And what I mean by we had each other is that every time we got stuck, there is no way I could pull it out myself. We all three need to work together in the process to get it out. And like I said, stuck 15 times. If I got stuck by myself, it would have killed me. Why? Because I would have spent the night out there. I would have walked back. We take granite where we have connections with our brothers, connections with people. And as we're walking, we're walking together, building that relationship together, surviving together. This is Christ in us. Christ sticks closer than a brother in this life. So then when we show up at death, it's like, oh, here I am. Here's your brother, the one that you've loved your whole life. Proverbs 14, 32, the righteous has a refuge when he dies. Romans 8, 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many times can we read this and get tired of it? We can never read this verse and ever get tired of it. We can read it our whole life. We can memorize it. We can have it in our mind. We can have it in our heart. And it's not enough because we know someday we're going to pass. When we pass, do we need to hear the words that Christ will never leave us and that we will never be separated us, separate us? Is there any other words out there for anybody else outside of Christ that makes this strong statement, convinced neither life nor death, angels, principalities, nothing will be able to separate you? We make the statement on our hearts and our candy, but we know that they're not true. Word of God is making a statement. It is true. It is true for him and him alone. Number five, those who die in Christ die in the arms of a friend. The unknown haunts us. And if we really think about death, there is a little bit of fear that comes up. But as there is fear that comes up, (coughs) the entire Bible wants to speak into that fear. And the way that the entire Bible speaks into that fear is Christ came for you and will embrace you when you die. Therefore, all you need to do is ask the question, have I received him? Have I accepted him? And then also ask the question, am I really getting to know him in this life, or am I just taking a Christianity, throwing on the side, and living my own life? Invest in a life of getting to know him. And if you don't know him, embrace him, because if you do, he will always embrace you. We're going to do communion Communion is a sacrament that God has given us for a reflection on what he has done for us. Uh, the, the juice and the bread is up here. The bread represents the body that is broken on our behalf, and the juice represents the blood that was spilt for us. When we come up here, and I'll explain what the, the logistics are going to be, but as we come up here and we take communion, there's a couple things I want you to think. That as you take the bread, it is Christ's broken body. I came and broke my body so you can live. As you drink the juice, this is Christ's spilt blood. I spilt my blood so you can live. I want you to think of a statement. Bet, is Jesus really going to be there for me when I die? Is Jesus really going to be there for me when I die? I broke my body. I spilt my blood. If he was going to do that, I guarantee that he will be there with you when you die. Therefore, if you are a believer, I encourage you to come up and take communion and reflect on what Christ has done for you, and you live because of it. 
If you are not a believer, I encourage you to walk right up here, take the bread, drink the cup, and I want you to make another statement. God, (laughs) I don't know who you are, but I want you. I want to know you. I want to understand you, and I want to be saved by you. Please, God, save me. And then I encourage you to eat the bread and drink the cup. A couple of logistics is that we've got three or four worship songs that are going to take place. Feel free to come up and take the bread, drink the cup as a family, as an individual. Pray before you'd like. We'll take our time with the three or four songs. There's also tables that are in the back that if you do not want to walk up or incapable of walking up down, um, down the aisle, you can go to the tables that are in the back um, to, um, to take the sacraments. God, we just um, ask that you meet us, God, when we come to the table this morning. For anybody that does not know you that comes to the table, I just pray that you just soften their heart and give a revelation, God, of what you have done for them, revelation of how much you love them, and have a revelation on how much uh, you want to receive them. God, and for us that are believers, I just pray that it will just be a time of meeting you um, even closer, God, getting to know what you have done for us and uh, um, understand that uh, the fear of death, God, can be completely wiped out because you took death on our behalf. Thank you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.